Hey, uh, really great to have you here at Encounter this evening. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's just great. It's just great. Uh, I hope you're in line with the heater because that'll make your whole experience much more enjoyable. Uh, but if you're not, you'll stay awake better. So that's good too. So, you know, silver linings. Uh, we're going to get into it in a second. We're going to have a Bible reading in just a moment. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, but before we do that, we are just going to watch a short video. So uh, this is just because we're speaking on generosity, we just want to give you a little snippet, a story from one of our encounter people uh, about generosity. So, Hey church, I'm here with one of our interns. Would you like to tell us about yourself? Yeah, my name's Jessica and I'm married to Matt and together Matt and I have three small boys named Rupert, Samson and Sebastian. So what made you want to join Encounter? Yeah, so um, Matt and I at some point were looking for a church that we um, that would gel with our family and somewhere mm -hmm. where we could plant ourselves and find community and get involved. So I wanted to chat a little bit, we're speaking about generosity this week. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago we had an interesting uh, thing happen where we got a phone call at about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning and um, one, of the, one of our other interns, Tom, had a, had a position for us to be able to jump in on the Bunnings um, sausage sizzle. Yeah. What makes a mum of three kids on a Saturday morning decide to get up and go and serve in a sausage sizzle? Um, well, at first I hesitated. I sort of wasn't sure whether I had the time to sort of give, um, but saw it as something fun and um, that I might enjoy and it was down the road and so I thought I would just sort of go halfway and offer um, a few hours. Okay. Um, so I didn't give up my whole day initially, but thought, well, I'll give a few hours and go down and help out and take advantage of the opportunity we had. It, um, it was really busy and but there was just so much vibe and um, some other encounter team came down and it was just really awesome to work with them as a team and it was sort of like a bonding experience and I really mm -hmm. valued that, sort of building on relationships with people who I might see at church um, but not necessarily do a lot with outside of church. Mm -hmm. And so you came out of that, you ended up what, spending most of the day there? Yeah, so the few hours that I thought that I would reluctantly commit, I ended up turning into most of the day and that was just because I had so much fun and yeah, I only left in the end because they didn't really need me. I, I really energized by spending time with people mm -hmm. and I think sometimes life gets in the way and we don't make that effort to spend time with people and sort of not realizing how good it is for us um, so yeah just spending time with her I was able to you, you get to see a different side of someone when yeah. you're doing life with them and and mm -hmm. sort of going beyond just greeting them at the door or seeing them in church and um, I really sort of valued building on the relationships with the the other encounter team both yeah. that came down I love hearing that. I love hearing about your um, time with people and, and, you know, how you were blessed in that. I think sometimes we see, um, you know, we see it as a sacrifice. We're like, oh, I'm going to have to give and they're going to, you know, we talk about generosity, we're going to, you know, they're going to be asking for my money or anything like that. Well, we forget a lot of the times that it's actually God's blessing mm. comes out of that. And sometimes, yeah, we need to sacrifice first, but God blesses us so much more Absolutely. for it. Yeah. Uh, and so I love hearing your story because I think for me it just summarises um, generosity. You know, it's, it is about, yes, it is a sacrifice. Yes, there are times where, you know, maybe it was a sacrifice for you, but in the end it was an absolute blessing. So thank you so much 
for letting me chat to you today. It's been awesome it's just been to great. hear um, your experiences and um, we're very grateful to have you and Matt around. We love yes. having you guys and your little boy. So if you see Jessica, say hi or um, see the boys, give them a high five and tell them they're awesome. So thank you so much for letting me chat to you today. Thank you. Um, so we're reading from Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44, and it's called The Widow's Offering. So, um, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Uh, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came up and put in two very small copper coins, only worth a few cents. Uh, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave all out, out all their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Cool. Hey, thanks, Taryn. Why don't we thank Taryn for... Okay. So, generosity. We are uh, looking at the last of our four encounter values. Uh, we're all about Jesus. We're all about people. We're all about being real, and we're all about being generous. And the next week, I'm going to take it and put it all together in a, in a sermon called Encounter Life before we get into our Alter Ego series, which I'm really excited about. But just a quick snapshot, if you haven't been here for the first few weeks, uh, and if you are new here, welcome. Really good having you here. And hopefully we can catch up afterwards for a coffee, because frankly, I'm never caffeinated enough. Uh, and please do come back and hang out by our fire pit. I mean, it's BYO everything, and we're podcasting this, so I, again, won't give you the address. But once I've finished speaking, come talk to me. I'll give you the address, and we'll, we'll hang out. It'll be fun. It's a good fire pit night. So we started off talking about Jesus, and we noticed that when we encounter Jesus, we encounter life. That's the heart of who Jesus is. And then when we moved on to talking about people, we started hearing this idea that actually when we encounter Jesus, we can encounter people in a more real and genuine way, and we actually hear that Jesus is the antidote to true loneliness, the antidote to true loneliness. And last week, my wife preached and just preached up a storm, the Jenny Wardrop fire in the house. I loved it, and pointed out that encounter people are real people, and that you can't really, really genuinely be real until you learn to be real with Jesus first. It's great. And, uh, and being real with Jesus sets you free. This week, we're preaching on generosity. So if you are new here and a friend of yours has invited you along, it's because they think you're cheap and they want you to learn about generosity. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm ki- I will probably say some things that I shouldn't say. And it'll be podcasted and hopefully 20 years from now, I don't get in trouble for them. But it's fine. You're not cheap. You're not cheap, I'm sure. I don't know. You might be. But you're probably not. <laughs> But if you are here, I hope we do get a sense about your own generosity and what it means to be generous. I do want to issue, this one's a genuine disclaimer, that because we're talking about generosity, we are going to talk about money quite a lot because it would frankly be ludicrous to talk about generosity and not talk about money. We'd be avoiding the subject. And the thing about money is Jesus talks about it a surprising amount. It's something we don't like to talk about because we have, and we need to own this in the church, often butchered the way we've looked at money or made it self-serving. That's not what it's about. So 
So we're going to look at that too. Why don't I pray, and then, and then I'm going to get into this uh, for good. Loving God, I just thank you that all good things come from you, that you have been so generous to us in a multitude of ways. And I pray that as we explore that this afternoon, we can understand more about who you truly are, and you can inspire us and draw us more into being more generous people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So I want to start by sharing a quick story. When I was in my 20s, I I grew up going to the snow a lot as a kid. I was very, very fortunate. You don't know that as a kid. You just take it for granted. But very fortunate. Went to the snow a lot. And when I was in my 20s, a bunch of mates, we all decided we'd go back to the snow again. Just a bunch of guys. Uh, We're all sort of uni students. We're all working part-time, doing the uni thing. So we're all in the same boat. And we go to go to to the snow. We go, all right, we'll have a bit of a meeting before we go. Everyone gathers and we go, oh, how much do we want to spend? You know, we've got a bit of disposable income, but not heaps. Let's be sensible about it. And most of us sort of went, ah, a couple of meals out. And most of the time, we'll all just pitch in, have meals at home. Yeah, we're in an apartment, do the upright ski thing. It'll be fun. Except for two of my friends. Two of my friends felt differently. And their names are Bungie and Ballers. And yes, I will shame them on the podcast because they've now grown up into being functional adults. And it's fine. <laughs> Bungie and Ballers had slightly different perspectives of how to spend this money. Ballers was a little more conservative with his finances, a little more conservative, while Bungie, not so much. He was a little more open with how we spend them. For example, we'd start talking about pooling money, and Ballas would go, ah, oh, snacks. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the sort of thing people could just pay for their own, like the ones they want to bring. It's like, oh, don't be that guy. Okay. And meanwhile, Bungie's like, I don't care about the snacks. That's fine. Bring as many as you want. I don't care. I'll pay extra money. I just don't want to have to cook anything. If somebody, pay, if somebody cooks my night, I'll pay for their share. I don't care. People are like, all right, I guess, but whatever. And then Ballas will be like, well, okay, yeah, but are you saying hot breakfasts as well? Like, you're going to cook up bacon and eggs? That's expensive. Why don't we just do cold breakfast? Meanwhile, Bungie's like, if I see a box of cereal in this building, I will throw it out the window. I only want cooked breakfast, and I don't want them here. I want them at restaurants, okay? You guys will stuff it up when you're cooking my food. Ballas is like, what if when we made toast, we don't put spreads on them? Because that's extra money. Well, do we really need spreads? Bungie says... I would rather die than lift a finger to cook in that kitchen. I want to eat out for every meal. Those last two, I'm only exaggerating one of them. One of them actually got said. I'll let you choose which one. It was great. Now, I mean, who's in the right here? Nobody. Nobody's in the right. They're both being selfish. They're just being selfish in different ways. They're two sides of the same coin. One person saying, I'm being selfish because I'd rather keep the money for myself. That person that you go out and you pay for a bill and they make sure they pay $23.14, not $24, you know, just because I didn't have any of the garlic bread, so, you know. Whereas the other one is, the other one is saying, I don't care. I'm being selfish because I want it all my way. I want to pay for it all out. I don't care if you can't afford that. That's what I want. They're both being selfish. It's two sides of the same coin. Again, they grew up very functional adults, good with money. All is well. It's okay if they ever listen. It's fine. (laughs) The point of the matter is this. I don't think that's God's vision for our money either or. And I think Australians like to think that we're very generous with our money, but we're actually not. I'd like to challenge that. And then I would like to just say that God doesn't care about your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. We'll get into that in a second. 
So statistically, is Australia generous? We like to think of ourselves as the lucky country, right? We're the lucky country. Mateship, generosity, fair go. There's a whole sermon series in the, the fair go idea and whether Australia is the place of the fair go. But are we actually generous? Well, technically, on a scale of one to 200 and whatever many countries there are, yeah, we're pretty generous on that scale. We are, in fact, the sixth most generous country in the world, according to one measure, which I can give you if you're interested in such things. But we're also the most wealthy, or one of the very wealthiest nations on earth, so we should be more generous. And how generous we are is still proportionate, okay? So when we consider, are we generous people, we need to consider what we mean by generous, okay? Because if you're seeing it in a list, it's like uh, when you're grading on a curve, when, it, when an, exam, an examiner is like, oh, all my students are terrible. What if I give the best of my terrible students 80% and then we go down from there? That's, this is kind of what it's like with generosity. So a few stats. Oh, actually, one more thing about generosity. I think we mislead ourselves about our own generosity and our own passion because of slacktivism. Has anybody heard of the term slacktivism before? You're aware of it? It's basically internet activism, where we get very passionate about a subject and we talk passionately about it and like, I am behind this issue. How many dollars have you put behind this issue? Zero. But in principle, I am behind this issue and I support you in theory. Have you been to any rallies? No. But in theory, I am behind what you're saying. That's slacktivism. It's the idea of activism as opposed to actually translating it into practical and financial support for people. I think this is where we get our wires crossed with generosity. We hear about people screaming loudly about how generous their intent is. Here's some stats about it. Australians give, on average, 0.4% of our income to charities. 0.4%. So if you earn $1,000, you give $4 to charity. Not great. That number has decreased over the last decade. We are less generous now than we were 10 years ago, which means we can't even blame the baby boomers. And where is the fun in that, frankly? Second stat, the rich are making us look better than we actually are. 0.0036% of people in Australia, adults in Australia, give 22% of charitable donations. That's 6,600 people is, this, is the figure, give 22% of all donations in Australia. Before you get too excited about that, rich people don't necessarily give more proportionately than the middle and lower classes. They just have more money to give, which comes back to the idea of Australia really a land of the fair go. We'll leave that for another day. Here's the third stat I want to give you. The average donation that an Australian gives is dropping, and not only is it dropping overall, it's dropping even more when you put it in line with our wage increases. Our wages are increasing, but our giving is decreasing. We are becoming less generous. What I find really interesting about this, like little sidebar, is I hear a lot of noise getting angry at our politicians for not being more generous, and frankly, I'm one of them. I would like to see our parties, both Labor and Liberal in particular, be more generous in the way they approach foreign aid. But we're not seeing any on-the-ground change amongst you and me either. That's a problem, because it starts here first. So it could be argued that maybe it's dropping due to financial uncertainty, right? Could be, except the times aren't that financially uncertain. Not really. I mean, I know it's hard to get a job, but once you're in one, it's pretty good. And it's not, it's not that hard. We're not at like 30% unemployment or something ludicrous like that. 
It's high, but it's not record high. We're just not giving more. It could, though, be argued that it's due to an increase in people saying they're not religious anymore. It could. Because when you look at the statistical breakdown, religion, faith, and generosity are inextricably linked. People of faith are always, statistically speaking, more generous as a group. Individuals, I'm sure there's a few non-generous around. Not in this room, but in other places. But statistically, people of faith are more generous. In fact, the profession that is the most generous, technically, are pastors. So. That was really all I came to say today. <laughs> I've been heard. Jesus spoke more about money than about just about any other topic. One of his top three topics he spoke about. He spoke to a rich young man famously telling him it was harder to get into the heaven being rich than it is for a camel to be shoved through the eye of a needle. He challenged the selfish use of finance by religious leaders and he took it for granted that you and I would give to the needy. But what I really want to look at today through the scripture that we heard from Taryn and from another one in the Old Testament is God's challenge to us about our own generosity, our own spirits and our own level of faith. Because frankly, friends, I'm not ever really that interested in, in talking about stats. What I'm talking, interested in talking about is how you and I are going to change our hearts to grow to be more like Jesus, to reflect that in our lives. That is my passion. I'm not passionate about seeing a set of statistics change because I don't believe the statistic changes until the human heart changes. It is the human heart that's the issue here. So let's delve into that. The passage that Taryn read so well, adjective, beautifully, there you go. Taryn read it so beautifully earlier, um, is from Mark 12, also appears in Luke's gospel, and is about a widow that goes and gives money. And it's really interesting that Jesus and his disciples are just kind of sitting there watching this happen. They're watching the people come to the temple and give their tithes and offerings, which is what people did in the temple of Jerusalem. And there's these, these people giving these huge donations, and you kind of get the idea that they're making a bit of a flourish about it. And then there's this widow who comes in and just drops kind of two copper coins, and Jesus says that. That lady gets it. That lady gets generosity. That lady gets faith. And the disciples are like, that lady's got no money, so I don't know what you're talking about. But Jesus is trying to make a clear point that the clear message here is that your money is not about the amount you give, it's about the intent, the heart behind it, the faith that's involved in it. So what would happen in those days is you'd have tithes and offerings, okay? I don't know if you've heard the word tithes before in church. Sometimes I get people coming up to me and asking me, oh, how much should I be tithing? I was like, well, the word tithe literally means a tenth. So there's your guideline. <laughs> tithe, tenth. That's what the word means. That might be roughly what you should be looking at. And uh, so there's tithes and offerings. So what the ancient Israelites used to do is they would come to the temple and they would present a tithe of what they had. Now, as time went on, that became more monetary. Okay. People used to trade in money more often. But when it began, when this practice was instituted, it was more agricultural. So people would actually tithe a proportion of their cows, their sheep, the, the produce of their fields, and bring it into the temple. And that was their offering. That was what they had. And so that was what the priests ate. And even now, actually, in some country churches, often you get like a butcher who's like, hey, here is a leg of lamb. Go for it. This is sort of my offering this week. It still happens. still happens. Nobody's given me a leg of lamb, but just putting it out there, I wouldn't be opposed to it. <laughs> the one big takeaway from this message, God doesn't want your money, he wants your hearts. 
And throughout the New Testament, we read this again and again. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 15 about having faith in God as a heart posture. He says, people honor me with their, their lips. Sorry, he says, people honor me with their, their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Okay, so they're giving lip service. That's where we get that phrase from, giving me lip service. Paul challenges the Roman church. He says, I want you to offer your bodies, all of yourself as a living sacrifice, a true sacrifice to God. That's your spiritual worship. So God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But, because there had to be a twist somewhere. When we give our money, we start to align our hearts with Jesus. And here's why. Because one of the most difficult sacrifices we can give. We feel entitled to our money. Most of the time, we work for our money. It's paid for services rendered. Therefore, we deserve it. That's, a real, that's another really interesting thought that will go down another line. Can't get distracted. Stop letting me get distracted, everybody. How do we know that's true? How do you know that I'm not just saying this in order that you will give more to encounter and that I'll be able to drive a nicer car? First of all, I can't drive a car right now. It's a bit of a sensitive subject. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> I see that hand. Second of all, second of all, it's something that is just is so intrinsic to the human heart. We are not equipped to make, make generous donations of things like that without something pushing us from another direction. Our hearts actually need changing in that way. We can't just give. We can't just give. There comes to a point where we go, no, it's mine. But the message of the gospel is actually, no, none of it's yours. Everything's a gift. So let me, let me unpack this next passage, okay? Oh, actually, before I unpack this next passage, here's an important side note. You can't worship both God and money. You can't do it. Jesus says this really profoundly. And, and, and what I want to say with this is I'm going to talk a lot about giving and giving and being faithful in it and taking leaps of faith. You're called to be wise with your money, okay? I'm not, call, I'm not telling you that the first thought that comes into your head is what you should do with your money, okay? Please be wise. Please steward it well. But using the phrase, I'm stewarding my money well, is not an excuse for being cheap, Okay? different things. So Jesus calls us to not worship God and money. He says it cannot be done. So while it's true to say that God wants your heart, not your money, it's also true to say that unless you can give over all your money to God, you probably can't give over all your heart to God. I'm just going to let that little mic drop settle while I have a drink. And feel free to open with me to Malachi chapter 3. It's the last chapter in the Old Testament. So while you're opening up, uh, Malachi, a little bit about Malachi. Malachi was uh, what's known as one of the minor prophets, which just means we have less of his work. He's no less important of a person. Shouts to Malachi. I'm sure he was great. Lived about 500 years before the time of Jesus. And uh, in, in one of his powerful messages about faith and money, he hears this challenging message from God, and it goes like this. It's really about a 12-verse section that's worthy of reading, but I'm just going to read these three verses. Will a mere mortal rob God? This is from God. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, 
and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God is literally saying in this book, test me with your money. Trust me. Bring everything you've got of yourself, of your finance, of your possessions, and trust me with it and see if I won't give you back more abundantly more than you could even ask for, more than you could even imagine. That's not a financial thing. It's a spiritual thing. God is not saying, put your money in this bucket and coins will rain from the sky. And I'm joking, but my God, the church owes a great apology to everyone who we have manipulated about money over the years. I told them that you put your money in a pile at the front here, be seen to do it, and God will prosper you financially. That is not how it works. God is not a genie. But God wants to bless you spiritually. And the reason he wants your money is so that it doesn't own you. God wants to own you. He's your God. Your coins are not your God. Or notes or bitcoins. When you clearly... You know, side note... I don't know anything about bitcoins. Like, great one-liner. I really, I barely even know what they are. I'm like, bitcoins, that's the thing. Use that in a message somewhere. Oh, no. Technology, kids. <laughs> don't let me get distracted. I asked you before. When you clearly place God in your lives above money, your heart draws closer to God. When you pla- I'll say that again. When you place God above money in your life, your heart begins to draw nearer to God. It's a natural movement. Okay. God's not drawing nearer to you. God's already right there. It's just that we put stuff in our own way. Counterfeit gods, idols. And it's my opinion that this passage actually sums up much more than our finances. It sums up our spirit. Do we have generous spirits? Are we actually generous people? Are we willing to give of ourselves? I'm going to get into that in a second. But before I do, I just, I just want to talk about the questions that I get about giving. I do often get questions about giving because it's the sort of thing that rules our life. It's the sort of thing that we go, this is my money. I earned it. I get to choose where it goes. I gave $2 to the Red Shield appeal. It was tax deductible. I'm kind of a hero like that. (laughs) Going to keep that receipt from August till next July so that I can claim it back. Unbelievable. We're very generous. I know. Sorry. I'm talking about other people. No one here. When I ask people, why don't you give? I usually get three main responses, or four if you count. Please don't ask me that question. (laughs) Three main responses. Number one, I don't trust the church with my money. Number two, I want to know how it's being spent. And number three, I can't just give my money away. I don't have enough to spare. Just Google wealthiest nations in the world for that last one, by the way. And, and, and Google average income for people in the world. And that, that might change, it, change your opinion there. But a few things here. A few things here. Let's talk about the trust bit. I don't trust the church with my money. What I find really unhelpful about that line of thinking, and again, I'm honestly not thinking about anyone in particular. This might land with people when it might not. Salavi. Podcast listeners, hopefully this lands with some of you. Um, the... The idea of trusting, I don't trust the church with my money, is kind of inherently deceitful, right? Because the church is led by people. When you say about Encounter Church, I don't trust you with my money, you're talking about me personally, really. You're talking about me, you're talking about Jen, you're talking about our board. Now, I'm not saying anyone is saying that. But what I'm saying is sometimes we'd say, oh, I don't trust the institution. Like, 
can we, can we not be facetious about this? Let's be honest. What you're saying is that you want to hold on to your money. You don't want to give it to these people. Now, I think we're trustworthy. Come and chat to us if you'd like to know more about who we are and our character and where we spend our money. One of the reasons we don't do these buckets, being a bucketless church, is A, so that new people don't have to give. Because I find that that's always the awkward thing. The buckets go around and new people are like, oh, I, should, I guess I should. And like, we don't, don't do that. This is our gift to you. Our ser- this service is our gift to you. Have a free coffee. Have free conversations. I don't know. Sometimes there's food. <laughs> but, you know, we, we just don't want to make anyone feel pressured to give. But we do want to give opportunities to give because obviously the coffee has to be bought by someone, right? So there is, there is an opportunity to give in that way. But we're a buckleless church because of that. But also because the age-old tendency over the last couple of hundred years has been to slowly remove the money from your hand and put it in the bucket. Like, yeah, sometimes people very discreetly hold it in their fist and sort of drop it in because they want people to know. But sometimes people do. I don't want to put that temptation in anyone's life, okay? It's not about showing how much you gave. Another sidetrack. Too many sidetracks. Pushing on. Budget. We talked about trust. Don't blame the church as an idea. Think about the people you're trusting in. The budget. I want to know how it's being spent. Okay, our budget is an open book. We talk about it in Growth Track week one, the very first day that you sign up and go, I'm interested in learning more about this church. We're like, great, here's how we spend our money. Here's our budget. This is what we do. Uh, And every now and then we talk about it in services too, like I'm doing right now. Uh, Our budget's really simple. We have about 35% that goes to staffing, about 30% that goes to uh, facilities, and about 25% that goes to locations. What's that? Is that 90 altogether? Uh, 90, well, close enough. And then missions gets 10%. And mission is a minimum. Everything else is a maximum, if that makes sense. So if there's leftover, we give it away. That's That's just what we do. So you're very welcome to come and chat to us about that. We're transparent about it. But... Let's get to this last one. I can't just give my money away. I don't have enough to spare. The point here is about control. In fact, spoilers, this is what it's always been about. It's always been about control. I don't trust the church. It's about control. I want to know how it's being spent. It's about control. You want to retain control over your finances. I've got to be honest, this is just a bugbear of mine, pet peeve. I, I find it a bit weird when people donate money to church and say, it's for this area of ministry. Why don't, why don't you just give it? Like, why don't you just give it? I, I understand if we're doing a turkey charity drive, right? And we say, please give money for turkey. Okay, very different. But if, if people are giving to the church and they're saying, oh, uh, I felt God say it's for this organ. Like, we don't have an organ. Yeah, but maybe someday. Can we use it in other places? No. Just let it sit there until it's time for the organs. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, again, I'm joking, but these are real things that have happened. It's about control. It's about making us the kings and queens of our own lives. And that's not what it's about, friends. That's not what we're meant to be about. We're meant to be giving over control of that to God, breaking down the idols in our life and letting God be in charge. Young adults, if you're under 25 in this room and you're not working full-time and you're thinking to yourself, when I get a full-time income, it'll be easier. I'll give more. Statistically, no, you won't. You set a track now that leads you into the future. That's what happens. You're much better off giving $2 now out of your $20 take-home pay than you are trying to give like 100 bucks if you're earning 1000 a week. You know, like, That's much harder. It's actually easy to go, look, I've only got $60 a week, but I'm happy to give that six. Yeah, sure. Seven even. Why not? Suddenly you get 1000 a week and you're like, 100 Ooh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and it is. 
This is the call of God. When you claim it's about the budget, it usually means you want control over your money in and out of the church. When you're claiming it's not about trusting other people, it usually means you're not willing to get involved yourself and give up your time and skills to help ensure that the church is using its money wisely because somebody has to do that too. So put your money where your mouth is, friends. Sir, this is why God challenges his people to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is why the widow is honoured for her two little copper coins. This is why so crucially that Jesus says you can't follow God and follow money. You have to choose because it's about your spirit. It's never been about the volume. It's never been about what you do with it. It's about your spirit. Who's in control? Are you in control or is God in control? Choose. Because when we get back to that idea of building your life on Jesus and taking leaps of faith, at some point, if you get to the place where you're like, I think I believe in Jesus, Jesus is saying, well, the last step is really to say, I'm it. I'm everything. Choose. Choose what it's going to be. Man, I'm sorry if you're new. It's not normally this hard. But, but let, me, let me say this. It, because it's about your spirit, it's about where your trust is being placed and it's in the provision of God. I, I do want to say this, that I have never, ever met a person who has started tithing and regretted it. Never. Never done it. Never seen it happen. I've seen people maybe regret what the church has done with their money. And again, I understand that, but get involved if you want to be involved in that. But I've never seen them regret it. Jen and I have been tithing for about 15 years. This is not a story to make us seem great. Just, this is just our life. We've been giving for about 15 years, and uh, in most of that time, we've been working off a very small wage. The bulk of it, I was working as a 0.2 to 0.5 youth pastor. Youth pastors are sort of like about the lowest rung of everything. Like they, they get paid on the lowest rung. They've got the lowest form of intelligence. I was one of them. I can say that. God bless you, youth pastors. And they, and, and they sort of don't get a whole lot. But we were getting that, and we were getting by. We were raising two and then three kids sending them off to private school because we were planted in a, a church that was in a private school and wanted to be part of that community. And we got by. God never failed to provide for us. Let me give you just one example because the bills were bigger than the income. Always. So the classic thing that used to happen is my wife works in, uh, or before she was a pastor, worked in the movie business. And so she would do uh, video editing for films and for TV series. I'm obsessed with films, so I find that very exciting. My wife can't remember anything about films, and she used to come home and say things like, is Kevin Bacon famous? He's in a movie I'm doing. I'm like, oh, stop it. Stop it. You're embarrassing me. There's no one here. You're still embarrassing me. You're embarrassing me in front of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> she used to, she used to uh, she'd be at home, a stay-at-home mum, and she would just work contract, which meant that unless a contract for a big film comes to Adelaide, not exactly feature film central, she's not going to get work. Every time we would come up to a point where we'd say, we're really struggling for money, what are we going to do? And Jenny would get a phone call, not because she'd sent out a bunch of resumes, but because something was happening and they'd go, we want Jenny to come and do this work. And it would be enough every time, every time. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us... podcast. 
Sorry, that, that's on me. Amazing. Denny would get this work, this shift work, and um, we would get our daily bread. That's what we needed. We wouldn't get hundreds and thousands of dollars. We wouldn't get above and beyond. We, Jenny wouldn't go, hey, here's a year and a half's work, which she couldn't do anyway as a stay-at-home mom. She'd get, here's their daily bread. This is going to get you through to the next lot of bills. The best one, though, that ever happened to us is we were in worship at church one Sunday morning, and one of our friends comes up and they said, oh, I really need to talk to you. And that's quite normal. I was a pastor. People would come up. They'd ask for prayer, things like that. I'd go, yeah, yeah, what's up? And they say, oh, nothing's up. I, I just need to tell you something. I, I was sitting in my car, and I was driving it, and we're talking about upgrading to a new car, and I was thinking, okay, yep, cool, cool. We need to go down. We'll trade this in. And I, I felt God say, you need to give this car to Mike and Jenny. And we're like, what? Because when, this wasn't a bomb. This was a really nice car. This is a seven-seater for our growing family. And he said, look, all that happened is God said that, and I'm convinced it was from God, and I went home and talked to my wife about it, and she said, well, if it's from God, you better give it. And they gave us this car. And it gets better because he wanted to be able to, when anybody asked him, as everybody does, oh, you've got a new car. What did you do with the old one? He wanted to be able to say he sold it, so he charged us a dollar. He wanted to be able to say with integrity that he had sold the car, so he charged us one dollar. Now, this guy is not a fool. He is very, very good with money. They're okay. They've got enough money to get by. This person's an accountant, right? Accountants care about where all the dollars go. You don't just buy a new car and throw away 10 grand worth of car as an accountant. But that's what he did. Why? God told him to, and his spirit was in line with God. And that's it. Money didn't control him. What could he have done with 10 grand? Quite a lot. What could we all do with 10 grand? But he didn't want it because God was calling him to give away. And we just cried, frankly. I still almost cry thinking about it. We believe tithing is so important that we're teaching our kids to it because it teaches them to love and serve the church, teaches them to give generously from an early age. It teaches them to live off a smaller portion of their income, which economically is a good, thinking, a good way of thinking, right? It's a good thing to get in the habit of doing. But most importantly, it teaches them to trust in God for provision. And that's what we want to do with our kids. The other day, Charlie, my beautiful middle child, we said, oh, yep, here's your, here's your pocket money, mate. And we said, oh, do you, want to, do you want to do some tithing? He's like, what's tithing? And I said, well, tithing is when you give 10% of your money back to the church and, and you give it to God. And so your pocket money is $2. So what if we gave you $2.20 and you give the 20 cents to God? It's like, you know, it doesn't affect his pocket money, but it gets him in the idea of tithing and it's easier than trying to give him a $1.80 change. And he said, oh, no, I'll just give the whole $2. Well, buddy, you don't need to do that. And he said, no, I want to. This is God's money. I want to support what the church is doing. I want to give all my money back to Jesus. So Charlie, my little boy, only has $2. That's all he has. That's his two copper coins. That's his everything. And he gives it to Jesus. Nobody pushed him. Nobody asked him. We were offering him more money to tie. This is what he wanted to do. Because there's something in that little boy that gets the spirit that's required to follow God. Trust me. He's got, he's got you. Let me really quickly talk about how we are generous at Encounter, and then we're going to finish up. I know it's been quite a lot this evening. I, I really feel conscious of... <laughs> I hate talking about money, but Jesus did it, so I want to do it. And it's good for us. So here's how we're generous at Encounter. Number one, hospitality. 
We want to overwhelm people with hospitality and with being welcomed. I hope there's no one here who was here by four o'clock who wasn't welcomed. Um, if, if you came in afterwards, maybe you didn't. But hopefully you were here and you got welcomed and we gave you a free coffee and you feel like you can be a part of something here. We are starting something new and we want people to come in and say, wow, this feels like it could be our home. That's the vibe we're going for. We want to be hospitable to people. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you're going through, you are welcome here. Just need you to know that. Mission. We'll always give a minimum of 10% away, like I said, to a range of charitable endeavors. And finally, our time, our talents, and our treasures. It's not just about money, right? We encourage that financial investment. What's way better? We don't want your money. We want your hearts. We're like Jesus. We're greedy that way. Give us your hearts. Give us your time. Give us your service. We don't want you to just put money in and walk away. We want you to plug into this community. We want to know you. You are far more than the sum of your coins. Way more than that. We want you to be a part of what you're doing because we value you as people a billion times more than we value your finances. That's nice. The finance is about you. When you give up your money, it stops having a hold on you. You stop grasping for every coin. You stop pretending that you need to spend every cent up to the end of your disposable income. You stop pretending you need to put hundreds of thousands of dollars away in the share market. You stop pretending you need an investment property before you buy your first property. So you've got a little side hustle going on there. It stops you from being obsessed with money when you give it away. That's why we want you to give away your money. And because I like the coffee. This is what Jesus says about generosity and sacrifice. Uh, Paul, rather. Paul says this in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, this is God, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The main reason that we give generously is because we follow Jesus. And Jesus is this example of generosity for us. Jesus, in his teaching in John, he says this, greater love has no one than this, laying their life down for their friend. And Jesus modeled that for us. He did it first. He died for you and for me. Find me a greater act of generosity than the cross. Because it's not just that he died for us, it's what he gave up to do it. Seated at the right hand of God, all power, all authority, all strength, Jesus says, it doesn't matter for the joy set before me, the love that is in these chairs, in this room, on this earth, I will willingly go to torture and death knowing that it will bring people life and set free. How much more will a God who gave his only son give to you and me? Abundantly more. We love because God first loved us, but we give because God first gave for us. You can't outgive. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. It won't happen. But that doesn't mean that when you understand what Jesus did on the cross, that when it drops him into your spirit and starts to produce a revolutionary change in you, you shouldn't give everything over to Jesus. And I think just to finish there, and I've got one little story, and then I'll finish. But I, I just want to, I just want to encourage you. I don't know what you've heard about the church before. I don't know whether it's been an old church mindset where you're like, 
my church is full of people that are 97 years old and they're the young ones and they sing hymns and these and those and I don't understand it, but they're very nice people and they make egg sandwiches. Right? That's, that might be your experience of church. It might be like the high Catholic, high Anglican, smells and bells. Sure, some people do church that way. It might be that you have been to a young contemporary church and the people were jerks. We do all sorts of stupid things in church. But I think the one thing we try and do really well is we try and be honest about the cost. The cost is not the tithe. The cost is not the 10%. The cost is everything. One of my favorite authors, a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, puts it this way. He says, when Christ calls a man to him, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls you to him, he's saying, give it all up. Everything in your life, give it up. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm saying when you're at your job, know that this, you're doing this for me. When you're at home with your family, you're doing that for me. When you're washing dishes, make it an act of praise and joy. God is asking you, friends, to give up everything you have. Make no mistake, if you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you and challenging you that it's time to follow Jesus, know that it is not a small thing you are being called into. It is enormous. And so if there's one thing that the church has got wrong over the years, if anyone's ever indicated to you that it's easy, I'm so sorry, because it isn't. Becoming a Christian doesn't make your life easier. The blessings of God, things like peace, goodness, gentleness, kindness, are not always easy. I don't feel the gentleness of God when I get cut off in traffic or when I got cut off in traffic when I used to drive. Whatever. A little bit sensitive about that. God, this generous God who gave up everything, gave up Jesus to sacrifice himself for us, is setting us a path to follow that he says, if you want to follow me, this is what Jesus says, pick up your cross. Be prepared to die in my cause. For the first century followers of Jesus, that's exactly what they did. Eleven of the twelve disciples of Jesus were killed for following God. Last story, and then we're going to finish up. Uh, we send out a prayer email once a month slash when we remember to do it. We're not crazy about it. And uh, it goes out to a bunch of friends and family, and perhaps some of you receive it here. And, uh, and we send it out and we, we ask people to pray for us. And one time we put it out and we said, look, we would love people to partner with us financially. If you feel like this is something that you believe in, that encounter is something you could get behind, we, we're just challenging you, not challenging, but asking you, maybe, maybe God's calling you to give financially. Because all you can really do is ask them to pray. We don't want to push them. We just say, Pray. Just pray. And one of our friends said, yeah, I do feel called to support you financially. Let me explain about this friend. She is 86 years old, lives by herself. Ah, all the pollen. Lives by herself on the pension, lives and ser serves at a different church and ties to a local church and gives there. And she gets our uh, prayer email, not by email. I know she's never going to listen to this on the podcast because she doesn't know what the internet is. She, she gets our prayer email because it gets sent to another friend of hers who prints it off and takes it to her home. And then the two of them sit and pray over everything on that prayer email together. And this old lady said, I want to give. And she took out her checkbook because she's old enough that she still uses checkbooks. <laughs> and she wrote a check for $200 to give to us. 
because she believes in us and she believes in what we're doing. But more than that, she sensed in her spirit that God was saying, just give, trust me. I'm not going to give her name because she would be mortified and embarrassed that I said this. She is genuinely the widow at the temple saying, I don't have much, but all of it's yours, God. And when we're building our life on God, when we're trying to be people of generosity, it's in a Christ-centered model that says, give up your whole life. When God's saying, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he's actually not saying bring 10%. He's saying, bring all your money to me. And if I tell you to do something ridiculous with it, trust me. Trust me. Maybe seek some wise counsel around you, okay? Just to make sure you're not totally up the garden path. But if you are sure that I'm calling you to do something extraordinary with your money, jump, do it. Because I don't want part of you. I want your whole life. That is the way of Christ. Some parts of the Bible, it says, God says things in the Old Testament like, I am a jealous God. And we think, oh, that's a bit petty. Is that what God's like? That's because, yeah, that's what love is like. Love is jealous. Love says, I don't want to share you. I want all of you. I adore you. That's the act of generosity that God's about. Hey, Ben, why don't you guys hop back up? We're just going to pray and finish. And um, I just think God's calling people to lay down their lives before him this evening. What I'm going to do is ask everyone to shut their eyes. Whether you're a believer or not, whether this is familiar to you or not, this is just out of respect to the people that do want to make a response. So there's no other requirements for your response. So I just encourage you out of respect to shut your eyes. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for the generosity of the cross. That you generously gave your entire life as a sacrifice for us. That on the cross, as you endured unspeakable pain, we were the joy set before you. The joy, the picture of joy, knowing that every human being on earth would have the opportunity to be in a perfect relationship with their creator because of this sacrifice that you are making. We cannot thank you enough for that, God. And I just sense that you're doing a work in people's spirits this evening. And this is a really simple call for people that have never given their life to Jesus and have heard the cost that we've spoken about tonight. Say, Mike, I don't know that I fully understand what it means, but I know that it's going to require a lot. I don't fully understand how to do all of that yet, but I'm willing to do it because I sense the love of a God that's calling me, a God that's speaking to me even now in my spirit. And if that's you, while everybody's eyes are shut, it's just you and me here. For the first time, I just want you to slip your hand up. If that's you, you say, I've never done this before. I've never given my life to Jesus, but today is my day. Just do it. Don't be afraid. Slip your hand up. God is right there. Saying, I love you. I'm here for you. That's so good. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to give a minute. If there's anyone else here that wants to do that for the first time, If there's anyone here and you say, 
I've actually done that before. What I haven't done is really given over everything to God in a while. I know that I've been pottering along trying to take control of things and I sense God in my spirit challenging me to start giving it back to God. If that's you, while everyone's eyes are shut, you've already given your life to God before. You believe in Jesus, but you know you just need to recommit and say, I'm giving everything back to you, God. Just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. That's so good. That's so great, guys. Fantastic. Let me just pray for everyone here. Lord Jesus, I just pray for everyone who just put their hand up to say, just reignite that fire in me, Lord. Help me lay everything back down for you. I don't want to pick up control anymore. I lay it all down. Lord Jesus, would you speak to them even now, continuing to encourage them in this journey. Let them know how deeply you love them. I want to thank you so much for those three people who rededicated their lives to you to say all that we have is yours. And would you help them, God, because you speak to us. You speak to us. And this next thing I'm going to pray, I just encourage everyone, just pray it in your own hearts if you're a believer. And and for those people that popped up their hands to receive Jesus as Lord for the first time today, Just say this in your heads. This is just to help you get your head around what's happening. Lord Jesus, everything I have, I give to you. I don't understand all of this journey, but I know in my brokenness and in my struggle, I need you. I lay down control over my life and I give it to you. Jesus, you are my God and King. Would you teach me to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name, amen.